Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Well, hello, guys, and welcome back to another episode of Creative Source with me, Andy Osho, the podcast about creativity for the creative in you. And as I'm discovering, it's not just about people who work in the arts. People have been getting in touch who work in different fields and letting me know that this um, podcast is making a difference to them, too. So... If there's anyone in your life that you feel like, oh, there's a particular topic or just this general vibe of the podcast might be something that they'd be into, then do share it with them and see where it takes them. Um, So first off, of course, I must say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you as always to the show supporters on Patreon and Acast who've been very, very generous. So thank you again, you guys. Um, If you want to find out how you can be one of the supporters of the show, check out the show notes. And also in other breaking news, I've decided to follow my own advice and I'm going to take a break. What? Yes. So um, this is actually going to be the penultimate episode of season one. Yeah, we're using seasons, Um, (laughs) but uh, I will be back with new episodes in September. So in the meantime, you can go back and listen to previous episodes. You may yourself be taking a break or taking on uh, a creative project. And if you're on Patreon as well, you will, of course, have the bonus content. Yeah, guys, you're not getting rid of me that easily. So, um, yeah, this is a penultimate episode, but I will be back with more Creative Source in September. This week, we are going to be talking about training versus talent. Now, this is a topic I actually 
took on when I was doing the, um, you know, the Instagram live streams, um, a couple of years ago. And I listened back to that episode and for the most part, I agree with everything I said, but what I did do is I collapsed experience and training into one thing. And I think for the sake of this conversation, let's make it two different things. I called the episode training versus talent. So first of all, I think the first thing to do is let's talk about what we mean when we say talent, because I think we use this word interchangeably with gifted and I don't think they're the same thing. So let me um, share with you what I think my definition of this is. So I think gifted is when you have an inherent um, gift or a natural aptitude for a certain thing. So my example would be when I was young, I was a very fast runner. I could run fast. So I was naturally gifted in the sense of I could put one leg in front of the other or one foot in front of the other very quickly and cover quite a bit of ground. But I wasn't a sprinter. Uh, A sprinter has talent because they've done the training. And I realized that when I, uh, McDonald's, I don't know if they still do it, but when I worked for McDonald's, we <laughs> used to have this thing called the Mac Olympics. And basically it was, uh, um, sports events, <laughs> different, um, stores competing against other stores. And now at that time, a lot of, um, athletes actually worked in McDonald's. So there were multiple ringers uh, in these events. But anyway, as uh, preparation for one of the events, I was in the sprint event, one of our managers organized uh, for a trainer to come and work with us. And it was when I did that, that I realized, oh, I can just run fast. I'm not a sprinter because some of the things, the techniques and stuff like that, that this person was teaching us made me realize there's more to, there's more to sprinting than just running as fast as you can. So I use that as an example, just to demonstrate that whilst one can be naturally gifted at something or have a natural aptitude or, or, or a basic skill that doesn't, I would say, equal talent. I had a writing coach called Corey Mandel and he described talent as being a repeatable skill. So when you have training or experience that gives you the ability to repeat that skill over and over again. Another example, I um, taught stand up for a little while. And one thing I noticed time and time again is that there were some people that were absolutely hilarious, like naturally hilarious, but they didn't know why. And it was so frustrating because you would, you would coach them and you go, okay, that, that, whatever that is you're talking about, that's brilliant. Put that in your routine. That, that's great. You know, you're rambling a bit there, lose that. And you give them all this coaching. And then the next time they go, oh, you know what happened is um, I decided to rewrite the routine. So I'm going to do something. And you're like, no, <laughs> you, you already, you were onto something. And even then when they did work on that same material, they were inconsistent and, you know, So talent is not just having this natural aptitude. It's being able to reproduce that, being able to repeat it. And actually what I would add to that definition is being able to repeat it under pressure. Because again, using stand-up comedy as an example, a lot of comedians have friends who are much funnier than them. And I include myself in that. I've definitely had friends who just have me dying with laughter, But the difference is that I can produce or a comedian can produce that same thing on stage. Whereas that hilarious person is funny down the pub 
without the pressure of an audience who have paid uh, money to come and see them without expectations, without having to follow somebody else who was brilliant, without stage lights, stage fright, all the rest of it. As much as someone can have this natural aptitude, talent is being able to repeat it consistently and under pressure. So when people talk about someone who's naturally talented, I actually disagree. I don't think there are very many people in the world. I wouldn't say none, but I don't think there are very many people in the world who literally have the capacity to repeat talent or their skill consistently without having done some form of preparation and training and muscle building in that field, frankly. I just don't think it's possible. I don't care what field it is. They would have put the hours in somewhere. Because the the fact of the matter is, I say, being gifted, having this natural aptitude will only get you so far. It'll get the ball rolling, but it will not sustain a career. What sustains a career is application, hard work, training, whatever you want to call it, however it shows up, putting in the graft is where talent is actually formed. And I would go as far as to say, hear me out, guys. I think based on that, anybody can be talented because we've all got a natural aptitude for something. We can all do something. And even if we can't, it's applying ourselves that gets us into the domain of potentially being talented at a thing. When I was doing the live chats and I watched it back, I just, I don't normally watch them back, but I did uh, on this um, instance, because I just wanted to see where my head was at at that time. And um, one of the viewers said, oh, you know, I can't sing. I'm never going to be a singer because he was arguing that training isn't everything. You have to have some sort of talent. And I said to him, well, have you ever trained? Or is that a story you're telling yourself about being a singer? Because I would say that actually you may not become Pavarotti and that's what I said to him in the live chat, but there is every possibility that you will be able to hold a note, that you will be able to stay in tune, that you would be able to do group singing, maybe not solo performance, but group singing. So actually putting in the hard work, I would say almost counts for more than that natural gift that you started with. The title of this uh, podcast is almost like a trick. Because it's not training versus talent. It's talent is training plus your gift. And with that, you can do anything. But look, here's what Lisa Milton, who's the uh, executive publisher at HQ Stories and Mills and Boone. This is what she had to share about training versus talent. Many writers are working on their own. It's quite a singular activity. So finding a tribe, finding some people to hang out with, to talk to about writing, to share your writing with can really help. You could find a course or a community online. You might find that you want to actually study writing in a different way. Whatever you choose, it can really help to talk to people about what you're doing. It can also really help to learn from professionals. There are tips and tricks. There are ways you can hone your craft. There are ways you can develop your skill. It might be that you're great at dialogue, but terrible at place. But you could be on a course with somebody who's really good at the opposite things to you and you can work together to help. It's a great way to get early feedback, to find early readers. And who knows, you might even find your future publisher. Somebody might commission you. It's really worth thinking about how you can develop your talent in a way that really suits you. It's going to be different for everybody, but whatever you choose, you can choose to work on your own or with others. 
The main thing is your talent is yours. No one can take that away from you, but people can help you to develop it. People can help you to develop it. Wise words, as always, from Lisa Milton, who works at HQ Stories, which are my publishers um, of Asking for a Friend, my debut novel. I don't know if I've mentioned that. But what I really liked about um, what Lisa was saying was uh, she was really pointing to the fact that we have this natural gift and it needs nurturing in some way. And she was speaking on whether you nurture that with help from others or whether you make that a solo pursuit. But ultimately, like she said, it's yours. Nobody can take it from you. And so therefore it's it's just up to you how you want to nurture it and support it. And also it's about where on your journey you want that hard work, that application, those hours put in, that training, that nurturing the talent, whatever you want to call it. Where on your journey do you want to put that in? And so let's have a talk about that. Do you want to put it in at the level of training, maybe right at the beginning of your career? Or do you want to do informal training along the way? Or are you going to do it via experience? Because for me, I've done a mixture of the two. I really enjoy studying, but I also really like learning in the field. So in some instances, I've done one and in others, I've done another. So for example, with me, with acting, I did a little bit of sort of formal training, I guess, in a in a quite a small drama school, but it was only part-time I was studying. Most of my Um, experience with acting has come from being in the field, just doing the do, but then later on realizing, okay, I need to supplement this training. And that's why when I was in LA, I decided to go to, I went to the Howard Fine studio and he does amazing training really for for actors. And he, he actually offers it online as well now, because of obviously like a lot of people responded to the pandemic by um, moving their businesses to the virtual space. Yeah. So I did a bit of a mix and match with stand up. Funny enough, I was going to say, oh, I did that all in the field too. But actually I didn't. I <laughs> I did a, a stand up comedy course with, uh, I think the company's called Stand Up and Deliver. Anyway, there was a, a trainer called, or a facilitator called Logan Murray, who a lot of stand ups will know and, and, and have trained under him. And many people that you wouldn't imagine would have done a stand up course have actually done uh, his course because it's just, uh, a really good course reputed to have um, produced a lot of successful stand-up comedians as well. So yeah, that that was my journey. But equally with stand-up, a lot of what I had to learn, and it, stand-up is one of those ones where you're better off in the field, I would say, than and spending too much time studying. But I've definitely had a mix and match career, but not everybody's like that. So let's have a look at the pros and cons of both. And I'll just do a quick mention, just a reminder, if you want to support the podcast on Patreon or Acast, actually, as a one-off or a subscriber on Patreon, um, please feel free to do that. And don't forget to check out the Facebook space, because if it's just me there, it's like being in a party on your own. So if you want to chat about creativity or if you've got any questions or anything like that, that uh, and you're not uh, on Patreon to access the Ask Me Anything, then um, pop over onto 
everybody would run to Facebook. Let's see if we can get like a community vibe going because that's what we had when we were doing the live streams on Instagram and it was really nice. Everyone was sort of sort of knew each other and was supporting and uh, yeah, it was a lovely vibe. Anywho, if that sounds like something you fancy doing, then just uh, have a look in the show notes, pick your poison and um, yeah, just held it over there and I'm sure at some point I will see you in one of those spaces. All right, so let's start by talking about experience. What are the pros of just going for it and just learning on the job, essentially? And by the way, aren't we lucky uh, that in this career you can just start? Because, uh, you know, I've I've said this many times uh, as uh, on this topic that, you know, we're not at uh, the arts isn't like architecture or being a doctor where you can't just sort of do it on the side or whatever or just get get started and get experience in the field just turn up at a hospital and just go oh yeah I'm I'm just going to be a doctor for exposure until I can get paid to do it like you have to do formal training but with us we can just start so what are the what are the pros of doing that and putting in your 10,000 hours as Malcolm Gladwell talks about in Outliers what are the pros of that well you immediately get real world experience. You can just, you get to just start and and experience what it's really like in the real world to do whatever it is you're doing. You get to meet the people that you're going to meet doing this thing. You get to make contacts. You also get to create your own structure. Now, obviously that requires a degree of responsibility if you want to create any kind of structure, because you don't have the formality of training. And so you can do or not do whatever you want. So if you want structure to your own getting a work experience thing to add to your training, you have to really put some thought and be disciplined about that. Mm, I feel like I'm weak in this area. Therefore, I'm going to try and get this type of work so that I can strengthen that part of what I, what I do or what I am. But uh, it's also, I mean, we're talking about pros. You're not bound by the formality of the structure of training. Look, if you want to spend your time learning about one particular thing, imagine what that is for your field. You can just do it. You don't have to sort of be bound by what the teacher or the facilitator has said you're going to be studying or doing that day or that week or that that semester. And like as I say, you, you make career contacts straight away. These are in the field, real world contacts. You get to know people. Um, straight away. I'm going to use acting as an example, um, just to compare with, um, just so that we're not talking in the abstract. So say, for example, you um, were 18, 20 or something, and you decided, right, I'm, I want to be an actor. And there's actor A, who decides they're just going to go for it. And actor B says, I'm going to get training. Well, actor B, if they're going to do formal training, it's probably going to be one year minimum, probably two, most likely three, if they're going to a a decent drama school. And so uh, actor A has a three-year jump on actor B when they graduate in terms of career contact. Now, Actaby will be meeting industry people, but industry people will be relating to them as though they're a student, not a, a, an actor who's available to be hired. Uh, I don't think, uh, as far as I understand, I don't think uh, drama schools encourage actors to take jobs before they finish. I think they want them to finish their training. So you've, as actor A, you've already had three years experience, three years worth of contacts. Another pro, you can also save a lot of money. Now, 
15 years ago, I think it was, when I was looking up the possibility of even studying at RADA, I was completely put off by the amount of money it cost. And people said to me, oh, don't worry about the money, go for the audition and there might be scholarships and all the rest of it. But I just saw three years of my life, 30 grand a year or whatever the training was. I think, well, I can't remember if it was 30 grand all in or 30 grand a year, but it was expensive. There was no chance of any government grants and that we weren't in that time anymore. So that was partly my decision of let me just find an inexpensive way to train and then, you know, use my time and my experience as an, as an apprenticeship. So start working, but know that I'm training when I'm in, uh, you know, in the field, as it were. I'm not assuming I'm fully fledged and ready for everything. I'm training, I'm learning, I'm absorbing. Having said that, it was still a challenge because I did feel very much like um, an imposter because, you know, given the distance of time, I can see that actually what was intimidating me um, was actors fresh out of drama school talking about drama school all the time. And I didn't realize until, you know, a long time later that actually the reason they were talking about drama school, because it was validating themselves. It was what they had at that time. They didn't have careers at that point. They didn't have credits on TV shows necessarily and things that kind of for want of a a better word, validated them. So they talked about drama school a lot. And also it was a bonding um, connecting topic that they all had in common. And it was an experience that they'd had recently. So it was actually, that was one thing that I did find quite challenging about the fact that I didn't go to drama school was that I, it took me a long time to believe in my own ability because I hadn't gone to drama school, because I hadn't had that same experience. And ultimately there, there's no way of knowing whether going down, and we're talking about specifically actor A and B here, there's no way of knowing which one of them made the right choice. It's just literally about what's the right choice for you rather than this is the correct thing to do. Because there are some actors who just need to get out there and work. And And in the States, I don't think people go to drama school in the same way. I don't think it's as much of an expectation, let me put it like that, as it is in the UK. It could be why American producers tend to have this idea of British actors tending to be better actors or better trained because that's the um, expected route for actors to take. And and also please hear this as talking about training relevant to your field. So obviously this is not just a podcast about actors. It's about creativity generally, but I'm just using that so that we we have a specific example. And so let's talk about cons. What are the negatives uh, of, of just going down this experience only route? Well, (laughs) one thing for sure is that you are now going to make your mistakes in public. As in, you know, the things that you don't know, the things that you don't know that you don't know, they're going to all be exposed in a more public way rather than in the drama school setting or the, the, the training setting. You won't have the structure of formal training. And in a good school, whatever discipline or craft they're teaching, they will have a plan, a learning plan that builds and builds and builds and um, creates the learning in you to be able to fulfill on the wh- whatever craft you're you're working in. So if you haven't had access to that that learning plan, that learning structure, there may be things that you miss. 
There may be fundamental techniques that you're not even aware of that you don't have access to because you didn't do the formal training. So for example, with actors, we like any other discipline have tools that we have to use. And like any other discipline, we have to look after them. That includes your voice. Now, one thing that an untrained actor may not be aware of is the importance of looking after their voice or how to look after their voice, how to warm it up in preparation for theatre or um, for singing to be able to project and fill a room. So all those things they won't have had access to because they didn't do the formal training. However, that doesn't mean that they can't then go to another place or go to an individual and receive training you know, a short course or just do some classes or whatever. So it's all is not lost just because you haven't done the formal training route, right? Now you may also, one of the cons is you may, as I was talking about earlier, you may experience imposter syndrome. You may feel like not, not worthy to call yourself um, that particular title uh, that goes with your craft because you haven't trained. I remember when I first started acting, I used to say I do acting. I didn't say I was an actor because I didn't realize, but I was really chronically suffering from imposter syndrome when I first started out. As time went on and I started to get more work, I felt a bit more comfortable with that, but it really took a long time for me to shed that imposter syndrome. And every now and again, it still comes up because like, like I think, oh, people are thinking, what's that stand-up comedian doing acting? <laughs> Not knowing that, first of all, that's where I started. And secondly, I'm an actor because I say I am, uh, regardless of what I've, uh, you know, credits I have to my name, but it can be a difficult thing to share this imposter syndrome and not having training. Can it bed that into your being in a way that you really have to work to shed it? And also there can be some industry snobbery about training, not just from your peers, but it can come from producers, directors, casting directors who may only want to look at people who are trained. So that isn't a problem for you. That's their problem and that's their own snobbery. And that's a limitation they're putting on getting access to great talent, actually, because they may be missing out. But it is part of the industry and it, it can be what happens in lots of different disciplines. Oh, you you didn't go to art school. Oh, you didn't go to fashion school. Mm, okay. So you just started making dresses, did you? Or whatever, you know what I mean? So, so it's an unfortunate part of all our industries that there is a degree of snobbery around not just whether you train but where my goodness all right but listen let's have some of your comments see what you guys have to say about this so amber says um hey amber by the way um i think everyone has a degree of talent but without training not always traditional you limit yourself amber you're absolutely right whatever that natural aptitude or gift is that we have it wants to be nurtured it wants to be taken care of and it's in our interests to do that if not it just remains something that we have but can't deliver on consistently. And for people to want to hire you, it needs to be delivered consistently. Let's say a stand-up comedian who's funny as hell, but dies every other gig. Are you going to hire that person? Or are you going to hire someone who's like maybe not as funny, but they, they deliver every time? 
the answer's obvious. You're going to go for the one that delivers. Maybe as a novelty, <laughs> you know, if you're if you're a gambling person, then you might go for the first one, you know, the one who's sort of inconsistent. But, you know, is it worth it for somebody with a 50% hit rate? And then there's another comment here from Anna and she says, I am um, self-taught in my creative work. I make fonts and do other graphic design work. And, And she says that she's been feeling lately that it has taken so long to work things out on my own that I could probably have been taught in a couple of years of formal training. I think training um, just gives you guidance and focus and maybe more confidence in your work. She says that sometimes design students sometimes contact her through her website to ask questions, you know, for a class or a presentation. And she says, I feel like a bit of an imposter answering them. She says, I've been considering getting um, some kind of formal training lately. So she says she's really looking forward to listening to this episode. And I think that's the thing with the training. And we'll go on to talk about some of the, the pros and cons of getting training. But the absence of it can create this imposter syndrome thing. And, you know, I would say, Anna, you probably are more than qualified just through the experiences that you've had to be able to support these students and answer their questions about their work. But the absence of that formal training really can sort of cut into one's psyche. And so, not that I'm giving you advice because I think you instinctively know what you need, But if it works for you, I would consider the training. It might just fill out some little gaps, like on a practical level. Yeah, it it may fill out some gaps in terms of your knowledge. And like I say, some of those um, more formal techniques and things like that, fundamental techniques that you may need in your work, you may get that. But I think it will just settle your soul. You know, it will bring you a little bit of peace within you because it sounds like like me when I started acting, that maybe you just need to validate yourself and that by, by finding formal training, and maybe you can find something that works in tandem with your work so that you're not having to stop to go and do this training. You know, you can, you can do your work alongside it. And there is something quite good about being able to, um, then list qualifications as well by, you're not in every field. <laughs> Does that make a difference? You know, like if we go back to the example of an actor, it's not really a big deal to say, I have a degree in acting, don't you know? Like, <laughs> so <laughs> that doesn't make any difference. But there are some certain um, skills actually in the domain of even acting that it is useful to have on a CV. For example, I have a long sorting certificate. I don't, but I'm saying, you know, that would be a good thing to have on a CV. Or I've done combat training level five, or I am a qualified, um, what do you call it? A uh, horse rider. What do they call them? Jockey, not a jockey. Uh, anyway, I'm an equestrian, <laughs> you know, because um, those things may be required for a job. And so therefore they're good things for a potential employer to know about you. And so Anna, maybe in your field, there are some things that might actually bolster your CV or your resume and have people just go, oh, actually this, this person is head and shoulders above the other because I'm kind of liking the amount of uh, training that she's put into her career thus far. But please, guys, know that it isn't the only way to put in the hours. The hours need to be put in but it's kind of your call, um, given the parameters of your particular craft or discipline, how you do that. 
So guys, just a reminder, as always, you can support this podcast on Patreon and Acast. If you feel so moved to do that, then head into the show notes, click on the link and you know what to do. This is all in support of just keeping the podcast running and therefore keeping the conversation about creativity going. If there's any part of this that's really chiming with you has made a difference, then if you feel moved to and you can and can do so comfortably, a little donation into the Acast tin or uh, a subscription on uh, Patreon would be very, very, very welcome. So let's get into talking about training. What are the different types? Well, of course, there's academic courses. And for some creative crafts, disciplines, academic is great, works wonders. But for some, not so much. Again, like acting, like if you've got an academic qualification in acting, it means that you've studied it from a theoretical perspective, but you may not necessarily have done a lot of practical work. So with me, I went to um, Barking College of Technology, which has got a really great performing arts um, department. But I was studying A-levels. I was studying A-level theatre, film and television. And alongside us was a BTEC course. So theirs was very practical. They were constantly performing, constantly doing stuff. Uh, Whereas we spent a lot of the time in classrooms. We would get stuff on its feet every now and again. But a lot of times we spent time in the classroom. And so it wasn't the sort of environment that nurtured talent. We weren't really putting in the hours. What we were being prepared for was being an academic who could talk about theatre, but not one who could be a practitioner. Whereas the other course, which, you know, uh, had people like Idris Elba in it and um, Raza Kadoti, who was in a bunch of stuff, Black Hawk Down, Armistad, um, the assassination of uh, Versace, um, and Sarah Webb, who was the lead uh, singer of a, a band called D-Influence. And, you know, just a bunch of people who've gone on to do great things. They were getting... Th- stuff up on its feet. They were hands-on, very, very practical. So academic doesn't always work. Depends what the craft is that you're, you're trying to hone, but academic doesn't always work. So maybe it's vocational. Maybe that's what you need. And I think drama school training is essentially vocational. They're teaching you to do a thing. They're not teaching you about the thing, to, to theorize about it, hypothesize about it. They're teaching you to do it. And they're teaching you various skills related to doing that thing. So, you know, for example, if you were studying fashion, an academic course would be studying the history of fashion, how the fashion industry has changed, sustainability in fashion, economics in fashion. But you wouldn't actually be making a huge amount of garments, whereas the vocational fashion courses, obviously, you're just making stuff. You're constantly making stuff and you will learn a bit about the other stuff. But primarily the focus of the course is to have you do so that you can do that full time. That's another type of training. But you can also do short courses, can't you? You can just cherry pick bits out of uh, a particular craft that you want to hone. I really like doing short courses now because they're a little way of dipping your toe in without causing a huge interruption to your career trajectory. So 
um, I have done filmmaking short courses and writing short courses and acting courses that have been like two or three months. And it's almost like giving a little, uh, a little injection into what it is you can do, what you want to be able to do, refining or, or, or streamlining or yeah, making better what it is that you can offer as a creative. You can have one-on-one training as well, can't you? That's always um, a great thing to do is just to have that focus. Some things are better done in groups. Like some performance things are actually better done in groups. Like Howard Fine, the the acting coach that I talked about, he said that, yeah, he does have some people come to him for individual actual training, not just prep for audition, which is something else that he offers. But he says that you learn so much from watching other people go through their process. So sometimes it is better actually to train in a group, even though you feel a bit intimidated or you don't want to be exposed or whatever reason you may have that you feel like you'd like you, your preference would not be to do that. There's a lot to be gained from working with and training with others. And then also there's an abundance, an absolute wealth of material online and books that you can read. And so, like I said earlier, where I was talking about you being able to create your own structure, you can do whatever you want to now. I mean, there's this new um, platform masterclass where there's incredible creatives and uh, Dustin Hoffman, Alicia Keys, uh, all, all uh, oh gosh, she's uh, Sheila E. She, she's produced one on drumming, I think. Alicia Keys one, I think, is about songwriting. Um, who's the woman that wrote the um, The Handmaid's Tale? She's Margaret Atwood. She's done one. There's, I mean, literally, I think any <laughs> any topic you're interested in, like any creative topic, there will be a masterclass on there. And I think it's only like 90 quid a year or something. So if that's how you wanted to train or top up your training or learning, then that would be another resource that you could use. So very quickly, let's talk about what are the pros and cons um, when it comes to training, whatever type of training we're talking about. Well, number one, as we were, uh, as Anna was kind of suggesting, and and I was too, I guess, um, uh, when we were talking about not having had it, is it does give you a strong foundation. Let's assume that we're talking about a good school or a good course or whatever, rather than one of these. I've done I've done bad acting courses as well. There was one so bad actually that I ended up asking for a refund. I was furious at them. Um, Anyway, that's a story for another day. I'll tell you about that on the Patreon extras. But yeah, anyway, so it can give you a very strong foundation. It can set you up so well. It gives you access to experts and to facilitators and teachers. They know their stuff and you can ask them. You can, their knowledge base is a resource for you that you, you know, pretty much unlimited. I mean, obviously within reason, don't call them up in the middle of the night, but like you can access their knowledge base. And you'll have probably, if you're on a full-time course, a multitude of teachers. And so you've got all this wealth in all these different disciplines to be able to help you be the best that you can be in this field, building on the strong foundation that the training will give you. You learn good technique. That's definitely one of the benefits of going to, uh, or having good training is that you start out in the right way. When you uh, just go it alone, one of the things that can happen is you pick up bad habits. You just find ways to do things that aren't necessarily the best way to do them. Either they use up too many resources, they exhaust, and then later on down the line, it's quite difficult to undo bad habits. 
So yeah, basically I like the training, good training will give you um, good technique. It will also give you the opportunity to gain um, an appreciation for the legacy of your craft, because often that will be a component in the training. You will have a conversation about where has your um, craft come from? What are its various forms? Let's talk about the history of acting. When did it start? Let's talk about Greek theatre and what that looked like compared to where we are now. Obviously, we're talking about acting. If you're, you know, a fashion student... (laughs) Greek theatre, whatever, unless you're talking about the costumes. All right, moving on. Um, You get a peer group. Oh, wow. You get like friends for life on some courses. Like you're, you're tethered to each other now, whether you like it or not. And it's not a small thing to go out into an industry that can be daunting, knowing that you're flanked by people that have been on the same journey as you, people you can turn to and go, oh man, I just had a terrible audition. Oh my God, nobody wants to see my work. Nobody's looking at my portfolio or, you know, whatever field you're working in. So that peer group means a lot. You get to make your mistakes in private. I mean, (laughs) I prefer that. Um, Yeah, those things that you get wrong, those missteps, not only do you get to make them in private, but you get to be corrected. Whereas, you know, if you haven't had the training, you'll be making a lot of mistakes in the field and not necessarily get corrected, not know that you're making a mistake. Now, that isn't to say that people with training never make mistakes after that, but a lot of the fundamental ones they will have made in the context of a classroom setting or or course setting. It gives you confidence. This is what Anna was talking about, really is that she is probably more than qualified to do her job, but there is a certain confidence that comes with getting training, knowing that that's in your backpack. It's like another tool, isn't it? And it may be that if Anna were to do training, it wouldn't teach her anything she didn't know already, but there's just something validating and confidence building about that. It can give weight to your work as well. Like we were saying, you know, certain qualifications, people go, ah, this person It's not just what the qualification is, but it's the fact that you've put time in to get qualified into your work. It gives you a certain standing. And also, as much as I said, uh, experience gives you access to industry professionals, training can too. The only difference is, or one of the differences, should I say, is that the industry professionals will relate to you as though, not as though you're an industry peer, but as though you're a student. So an example of this would be, if you were at drama school, they may arrange for guest lecturers to come in every now and again, or people to come in and give a talk. So you might get a casting director come in. Say Nina Gold comes to your drama school. She's going to be looking at all of you as potential actors, but students. Whereas if you're already in the field and Nina Gold calls you in and Nina Gold, uh, she casts Game of Thrones and all kinds of incredible um, projects. So you want to be meeting her, whichever way it is. But if you're already out there getting experience and Nina Gold calls you in, she is looking at you as a potential solution to her problem. I need to uh, cast this role. I I hope you'll be great in it. So you will get industry access, um, but they will see you in in a different way than if you're already out there getting experience. Hi, I'm Philippa East and you're listening to Creative Source with Andy Osho. And then what are the cons here? Well, you're bound by the structure of that course. You don't have the freedom or you don't have as much freedom as you you would if you were doing the model that we were describing before, just going for it. 
the um, I'm going to I'm going to do my training by just experiencing the industry. It can be very expensive. And if you don't have parents with a uh, a, a little nest egg or a, a, a student um, savings plan for you or something like that, it may even be prohibitively expensive. It may be so expensive that it's out of your reach if there aren't grants and scholarships available for you to be able to take on this training. And unfortunately, in society, we still don't value training for the arts as we do for other other vocations. And I'm not going to get into the right and wrong of that, but that's just the way it currently is. And so if you are not able to finance that, sometimes it, the experience route is the only option that you may have. So it can be expensive. And if you do access it and you have to finance it yourself, i.e. via a loan or something like that, you can be tethered with that loan for a long time going into an industry where you've there's no guarantees that you will ever generate the income to be able to pay it back. Ooh, that is a lot to take on. That is a big gamble on oneself, isn't it? Um, in uh, the second money episode, we talk about investment. And I didn't actually think of that, of like investing in actually going to training, taking a loan and and then the possibility of you having to pay that back. But that is a massive investment in oneself. It obviously delays getting started. So where uh, actor A went for it, actor B, B doesn't actually get to start their career until three years later. Now, for some people, that's a long time. I was 29 when I started acting or when I decided I wanted to be an actor, should I say. And I just felt old compared to the B. I would have been so much older than all the other people in my class if I'd actually gone to like formal full-time drama school. Partly I wish I had just for the experience, but I am where I am. And who knows, maybe I would have ended up in the same place anyway. It's like the episode of Friends where uh, Phoebe has a sort of sliding doors moment and she becomes this like high powered executive. And then in the end, she goes through all this whole thing and she has a heart attack and she ends up like leaving it all behind and becoming a musician who, who writes songs about a smelly cat. So um, it can delay getting started, but who's to say that ultimately both paths don't uh, end up in the same place anyway? I talked about snobbery earlier. Yes, there can be snobbery, uh, intra snobbery. So snobbery uh, within, you know, about which school you go to. So not just whether you went to a school to study your craft, but which one. Again, if we use acting as the example, when the students graduate, they have a, a showcase. And so casting directors come to these showcases and agents, actually, most importantly, agents come to them and they pick the best of the bunch and the best agents obviously take the best actors. Now, if you didn't go to a great school, like the RADA um, showcase is packed, but I know drama schools where they struggle to get the casting directors to come and the agents to come because it's not as uh, reputed as it's not a high, as high a reputation as, as say a RADA or a Lambda or an Aura. So, so you are having to contend with this snobbery about what school you go to. And just one last thing about the teachers as well is that they may or may not have been working in the field for a really long time. So have um, a kind of sometimes dated attitude towards the industry and therefore may give you dated advice and training and teaching because they haven't actually been in the field. When I went to Ravensbourne, what I liked was that quite a few of our teachers still worked in the field. Some didn't, 
And sometimes you could kind of tell, but many did. And so you knew that they were speaking about where the industry is today, not talking about what it was 20 years ago when uh, they started teaching. And that's not something that you can know beforehand. Uh, it's quite a cheeky question to ask, isn't it? When you go in for your audition or interview or meeting or whatever to 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 start studying at a place to go, um, are you guys actually working in the field or are you just really talking about the industry from an abstract dated perspective? Mm, message me. Um, so yeah, so that's not necessarily going to go down very well. So there is a, there's pros and cons to both. And actually probably what's more true is that all of us could benefit from a little bit of both. You don't want to do so much training that you almost terrify yourself to the the prospect of going out into the industry, but you don't want to do so little that you miss out on the opportunity to learn sort of fundamentals of your craft, even if it means that ultimately you just throw those ideas out because they don't work for you. But at least you know them, know the rules to break them. I think ultimately when it comes to your craft, it doesn't matter whether you do formal training, short courses, academic stuff, whatever it is, or just go down the experience route. It really is all about putting in the hours. And what I realized as well is if you don't want to put in the hours, that says something about the craft that you're wanting to go into or the discipline that you're wanting to to work in. If you're not willing to put in the time, then that means that perhaps you don't really want it. Uh, There's a great book called uh, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a... um, well, frig, let's say. I'm trying not to swear on this podcast. And it's by uh, an author called, I think, Mark Manson. And he says that, you know, at one point he, he wanted to uh, learn the guitar, but he realized quite quickly that actually what he wanted to, was to be a rock god. He wanted to circumnavigate the whole process of learning and just be rock god. And so he stopped learning the guitar because he realized that he was his heart wasn't really in the learning process. His heart was wedded to becoming, you know, slash, basically. So um, it told him there's no need to put your energy into this because it's not what you're passionate about. So where you appropriate your time and energy really says something about what you're passionate about. I would say the only thing is just keep the training alive because it's not a goal. It's a journey. There's no end point called trained. Even if you do do formal courses, when you come out of those formal courses, it's the start of another part of your journey and the end of one, but not the end of everything, not the end of training. And actually what I've discovered as well is that to keep your craft alive and growing means constantly tending to it because actually staying still doesn't keep things the same. It allows things to atrophy, to reduce, to become less. So if you want your craft to grow, then it's in your interest to constantly be tending it, constantly be looking after it, constantly be looking at where, where are my weaknesses? Where are my weak spots? What would I love to learn? What would I love to add to my portfolio of skills? What would I love to hone and refine? Ultimately, your relationship with training or putting in the hours is really down to your own desire, what you want to create for yourself. And there's no reason to do any more than you are. 
There's no reason to do less. It's all down to you and what you want to create for your career or not even for your career. It may not even be a career you're looking for here. It may be that you're just doing this as a hobby and you're perfectly satisfied with your skill level. And then maybe later on down the line, you might think, hmm, I might pick up a book. I might check out this masterclass thing that Andy was mentioning, or I might do formal training, or you might do none. It's really, really up to you. But listen, don't take my word for it. I want you to take the words of the fantastic Jennifer Saunders, who recorded a little clip about training versus talent. Um, I've never really trained anything. And so it's not so much talent versus training, it's talent and experience because I think you learn a lot by just doing and the more you can do the more you'll learn I think you have to you have to learn to do badly too you know and you have to just pick yourself up and get over it and you can I mean if there's a part of your creativity that you can learn more about then do I think most people are influenced they take influences from lots and lots of people and I think don't be afraid to do that use it until because it'll be a while before you're perfect before you know what your voice is so don't be afraid to experiment and to fail and to learn that was the amazing jennifer saunders i'm not even going to do credits because we know and we love her um and uh, what i really really liked about what she said there was about you know, just being willing to make mistakes because putting yourself in training is a a humble act saying, actually, you know what, guys, I'm not perfect. And I'm willing to have to accept help in showing me where I can make things better in what I'm doing. All right. Listen, guys, that is it for this week. Um, Don't forget to have a look at the um, Facebook group. So it's called the Creative Source Network. Just pop over there. And, you know, if you want to have a chat about creativity, just start a conversation and, and see who else shows up. Thank you guys, as always, for listening in. Thank you to Lisa Milton and Jennifer Saunders for their bite-sized advice. Thank you to um, you guys for your listener comments. Thank you, Anna, for sharing so honestly. Thank you to Amber as well. Thank you, Martin, for the post-production on this episode, to Clydesdale Music for the theme tune. And I'm also going to shout out a couple more ACAST supporters who have been just lovely for uh, supporting the show. I want to say a big thank you to Lindy Lee. Have I got that right? Lindy Lee? Um, thank you. And also to Meredith. I really, really appreciate you guys. I figured I can shout out a couple of you guys uh, every, every episode. Um, and gosh, I'm so sorry if you want to remain anonymous. I've blown your cover. I've blown your cover. Anyways, listen, guys, don't forget to stay in touch on socials. Again, the links are in the show notes. We're on Instagram and we have this new Facebook group. That's it for this week. Next week is our final episode of the season. And we're talking about finding your voice, finding your voice, finding your creative voice. In the meantime, please keep creating and keep living in gratitude. I'll see you guys soon.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Creative Source. If you're looking for more support with your creative journey, I'm offering one-to-one online mentoring. Perhaps you want to launch a project but don't know where to start. Maybe you've got stuck around a certain issue, need some advice, or just want to bounce ideas around. Whatever it is, I'm here. Just hit the Patreon link in the show notes or go to patreon.com forward slash creative source with Andy Osho to find out more. 